We're going to continue in our series next level, and we're going to talk about how we connect to each other. My premise of this message is, is that you cannot connect to God unless you connect to each other. God has made it that way. God has told us that, that forgiveness is tied, his forgiveness is tied to my forgiving my brothers and sisters. And so we have this amazing relationship and we have this community and that's, we're gonna talk about some barriers to connection. We're gonna talk about pillars to connection and I believe that you'll be blessed beyond measure. So I'm gonna say this before I start. I'm gonna be talking primarily to believers today. So if you are an unbeliever, meaning that you haven't, you haven't really crossed that line of faith to believe on Jesus, then uh, see us afterwards. There's a seven-minute meeting. There will be people there that would love to help you find your connection to Jesus, and that would be amazing. So next level, and uh, my contention here is that for you to go to, to your next relationship, to the next, you know, Whatever that is for you, if you, for you to go to the next level in your relationship, it's all about connection, connecting to God and connecting to one another. So let me start with this premise, and we're going to build off this premise. The church is not about just gathering a crowd, but building a community. Let me say that one more time. It's not just about gathering a crowd. It's about building a community. Gathering a crowd is easy. Building a community is far more difficult. And I'm just going to say building a community is what Grace Church is all about. It's why we were able to, at the year-end gift, to raise nearly, nearly $350,000 because a community of believers stepped up together and saw what they could do together as the body of Christ. So community is really an important aspect. So if you're just looking to find a church to attend, to st- you know, step in and out of you know, when it's convenient to you, Uh, I'm just going to say that you're looking for the wrong thing. If you're looking for a community of believers to help you walk with Jesus, then that's, you're in the right place. That's what Grace Church is all about. Whether we're connecting to God or connecting to each other, the book of Colossians, that's where we're going to be all morning. The book of Colossians tells us that there are four pillars of connection. So let's just start. Let's just jump into it. I'm going to be in Colossians chapter 3, so if you brought your Bible, if you brought your phone, uh, whatever device you brought, you can, you can turn there. Or if you just want to look at it on the screen, uh, I prefer that you actually look in your Bible. And uh, the reason I like it that way is because you can ac- actually make notes to yourself. You can do it on your device as well. But I want you to walk out of here with tools, not just walk out of here checking the box that says, I went to church today. Is that a deal? Because that's going to that's gonna get you nowhere. I mean, it doesn't get you anywhere with God, and it certainly doesn't help you take one step closer to Jesus. So in Colossians, this is what it says, beginning in verse, chapter 3, verse 12. This is what it says. Since God chose you to be the holy people of God he loves. Stop there. We're not going to go any further than that for just a second, because this is rich and amazing with great truth. First of all, notice it is God who initiates the relationship, right? Do you see that? It is God who initiates the relationship. If you are here today and you believe on Jesus, it's because God drew you, God, God wooed you, God brought the circumstances in your life, God opened your heart, God showed you the truth, God even led you to maybe a person that could help you know Jesus. So the truth is, is that you are chosen. You are chosen for a very particular reason. And notice that the mark that he places on your life is unconditional love. Let's read that verse one more time. Since God chose you to be the holy people, notice how he describes you. He loves. 
That is so important for you to understand. The mark that God has placed on our life is the holy love of God. We are separated by this love and it is an amazing mark that God has placed on our life. Now, having said that, if that is all true, and how many of you all believe that's true? Amen, I believe it's true. I believe that God chose me and he's placed his mark of holy love upon my life. If that is true, then Paul says in the book of Colossians, there are some things that I need to understand. He says, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make an allowance for each other's faults and forgive one another who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others above all. Clothe yourself with love, which binds us to all together in, the perfect, in perfect harmony. So in this section of the letter, Paul tells us that there are four pillars of connection that if I miss, then I'm going to have a disconnected life. And if there's anything that I would suggest marks our culture today, it is a disconnected life. Would you agree with that? We are completely disconnected. So these are, the, these are the pillars of connection. And so let me just share them. There are four of them that Paul talks about. That, that, you know, I've got to paraphrase a couple, but the intent is right. So here's the, here is what I want you to see first. The first pillar is God's tender-hearted mercy. That's what we build our relationship to God on, and that's what we build our relationships with one another on. When God deals with us, he, he, he withholds his judgment because of what Christ has done on the cross. Now, mercy is the idea of God withholding judgment. So God has this passionate, tender-hearted mercy that he has for your life, and he expects you to clothe yourself with that same mercy as you're dealing with the people around you. It is so important for you to see that you do not have a license to treat people in an, in an unloving way. It's just not, it's just not how, God, how God works. And because of what Christ has done for you, of all people, of all the people in the world who should have tender-hearted mercy, it is the body of Christ. And yet I find, just saying, that it's probably one of the most judgmental places I've ever been. Because we don't understand God's tender-hearted mercy. I'm just telling you, my experience in the body of Christ is it seems to be sometimes one of the most judgmental and unloving places because of whatever reason, because we have a spiritual enemy, lots of different reasons, but when I'm dealing with people, I've got to remember what Christ has done for me. So I want to start with this question. How many of you have difficult people in your life? Let's start with that question. Raise your hand. You have difficult people in your life. Hopefully, you didn't bring them to church with you to sit with you today. That's, you know, that would be just awkward for me talking about it, and it's them. You know, it's them. They're the, they're the person that, you know, in the first service, somebody actually clapped, and I rebuked them. I said, stop clapping. Stop clapping. That is not right. It's not right to clap about that. Just raise your hand and say, okay, I've got, I've got to deal with difficult people in my life. So here's what I've learned from God. When I'm dealing with, difficult, with a difficult brother or sister, I'm remind, I remind myself that this is a person for whom Christ died. You know that person that just gets under your skin? Newsflash, God loves them as much as he loves you. And I've got to stop and I've got to step back and I've got to remember what Christ has done in my own life. Where would I be if Christ hadn't given me his tender-hearted mercy? I'd be lost and without hope in the world. But because he has chosen me and marked me out with his holy love, I've got to clothe myself with this tender compassion that he has for everybody else. 
So at, at 14 minutes past midnight on July 30th, 1945, the Midway was struck by two torpedoes that came from a Japanese ship. And immediately, the Midway immediately went down, putting everybody on board either in the grave or in the water. There were about 2,000 people on board. About 900 of them made it out of the ship. And they got, they were, you know, they, they somehow made it into the water. Well, they had released a few lifeboats in that context and that, in, you know, in, 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 the, in the quietness of that moment, in the chaos of that moment. And uh, there was a criteria for getting on the lifeboat. And it was simply this. If you were bleeding of, in any way, you had to stay off the lifeboat. You had to stay in the water. Do you know why? Because your blood would attract sharks. So here they are in a lifeboat and they're repelling people who need to be rescued. Now that's ironic because sometimes inside the church that's exactly what happens. You and I have been, we all have shipwrecks, right? We are, we're a shipwreck in and of ourselves and we need a rescue. So God rescues us, puts us in this great lifeboat called Jesus and oftentimes what I've discovered in the church is church people are the most guilty of saying, hey, stay off the raft. You're too broken. You're too bloody. We don't want to mess with you. You're going to ruin our little party here. So we don't want to mix it up with people that like, ooh, I don't, that's just too difficult for me to even deal with. And that's exactly who Jesus had dinner with. And all the religious crowd hated him for it. And I'm just simply saying, this is, it's irony that you and I would get this amazing rescue in our lives and not turn around and want to grab people and pull them into the lifeboat because the fact that they're broken and we're broken. And unfortunately, you know, the church has this idea somehow, at least some churches have the idea, that we want to keep the bleeders out so they don't affect the rest of us. That's the mentality. So there's this holy huddle and there seems to be this righteous this righteousness, self-righteousness about people who are outside the faith. So that's the first thing that I've got to understand. The first pillar is simply this, is that I've got to clothe myself. I've got to take action, clothe myself with tender-hearted mercy towards others, especially people who have offended me, people that I would count as enemies. The second pillar, are you with me so far? All right. Second pillar, this is how I build intimacy in relationship, is that I have to have this pillar in my life. I have to treat my wife with tender-hearted mercies. I have to treat everybody around me, even my enemies, with tender-hearted mercies. The second pillar of relationship is just as important. It is the idea of respect. I'm going to show you where I get this from Colossians in just a second. But I want to start by saying this. If there's ever a time that you and I live, it is a time of disrespect. Would you agree with that? People are disrespecting one another, and yet there's, there's about three or four words that are strung together here that, um, that are really powerful words. Kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Now I take all those things together, I put them together, and I come up with this idea that all those things produce in my life a respect. So let me give you a definition of respect. Respect is due regard for the feelings, wishes, rights, and traditions of others. So if I'm going to respect somebody, I've got to allow that they are going to think differently than me. They're going to act differently than me. They're going to respond differently than me. And yet the Bible tells me as I deal with them, I'm going to deal with them. I'm supposed to deal with them with the idea of patience and gentleness and humility. 
Those are really powerful words inside of the Bible. And it's not just for those people that I love, it's for people that are difficult people inside of my life. So I've gotta learn how to put that into a context of respect for everybody. And, and the fact is, is that we live in a country where no one listens to anyone anymore. I'm surprised, I'm surprised honestly, that you sit for 30 minutes and listen to me because most of our relationships don't, don't reflect that, right? When someone's talking to you, most of the time, you're thinking about what you're gonna say back as opposed, as opposed to you know, genuinely listening to the needs of others. What would happen if you were, to, if you were more interested in listening than arguing your point? What would, what, would, what would that be like inside of your life? So here's a formula. Kindness plus humility plus gentleness plus patience equals respect. And if I do that, I am building towards this sense of intimacy in relationships. I'm taking a step closer to Jesus by doing that. Pillar number three is going to be a little bit harder. And here it goes. Pillar number three is the idea of forgiveness. Now, let me just simply say, you know, when I say the word forgiveness, everybody, everybody thinks forgiveness is a great thing until you actually have to do it. I mean, honestly, right? Isn't that true? Until I actually have to practice forgiveness, you know, I think everybody should forgive, and then somebody offends me, and I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm the exception. But not true, not true at all. Forgive anyone who offends you. Anyone who offends you is what the Scripture says. Forgive them. Remember the Lord gave, forgave you, so you must forgive others. So let's talk about forgiveness for just a few minutes. First of all, I want to, I want to, talk, about what it, I want to talk about what it's not. Because oftentimes, the reason we don't forgive is because we misunderstand what it's not. And so we have a faulty definition of forgiveness. So let me just tell you what it's not for just a few minutes. Forgiveness does not mean approving of what somebody else did. When I forgive somebody, it doesn't, I don't say, oh, it's okay. It's not okay. That's not the point of forgiveness. Forgiveness does not mean pretending that evil never took place. It's not, I'm just gonna erase this out of my mind so it never happened. That's not what forgiveness is. It does not mean making excuses for other people's bad behavior. That's not what forgiveness is. It does not mean letting others walk all over the top of you. Forgiveness has boundaries around it. It does not mean pretending that you were never hurt and that everything is okay. It does not mean that you must restore the relationship to what it was once, bef once before the offense. Forgiveness and trust are two different issues in the Bible. And so I am commanded, if you were to sin against me 900,000 times, I'm commanded by God to forgive you 900,000 times. That's what the Bible says. However, it doesn't mean that I have to trust you. Forgiveness is commanded by God, trust is not. Trust is earned. So it's okay to forgive somebody and not actually trust them that's okay. That doesn't mean you haven't forgiven. That's a different ballgame altogether. It does not mean that you have to tell somebody that you have forgiven them. I mean, I've had people come up to me and say, Pastor Dan, I've been mad at you for 10 years. Would you forgive me? And I'm going, are you stinking kidding me? For 10 years, you've walked around being mad at me and unhappy with me, and now you're coming and telling me that you forgave me. I mean, think about that. I mean, isn't it kind of arrogant? And I hope nobody's in the room that's ever said this to me because I don't mean to single anybody out, but I'm just simply saying, I don't need to go. If you've offended me, I don't need to go and tell you, oh, by the way, you're off the hook now. I've forgiven you. That's kind of arrogant, don't you think? 
It's kind of arrogant for me to think that somehow, some way, that I've got my granting you forgiveness is somehow, you know, a badge on, my, on me. It's not. It's not at all. It does not mean that negative consequences of sin are canceled. In fact, in fact, the Bible says that I have to bear scars. Jesus bore us our sins on the cross. He, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But the reality is, listen to this carefully, the reality is there is still a bearing of those sins. And Jesus will bear the marks of those scars for all eternity, as I understand Scripture. Forgiveness, so let's talk about what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a conscious, deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment or vengeance toward a person or group who has harmed you, regardless of whether they actually deserve your forgiveness or not. It is a conscious decision to turn them over to God and say, God, you do with them whatever you want. I am emotionally and spiritually releasing the consequence of their sin. I'm giving it to you. And that, when that happens, it is, it is a powerful thing, and it's, and it's despite whether they deserve it. The fact is, is that probably in your mind, nobody forgives, deserves your forgiveness. They've hurt you. They've sinned against you. But it is the model of Scripture that we forgive. So let me see if we can, this is so important. So I want you to think about, I want you to think about somebody that comes to your mind that has hurt you, betrayed you, that has done you evil, has gossiped about you, has, has become a traitor in your life, has rejected you, and has created great pain inside of your life. You have that person in your mind? Now, let's just think about that. What are you gonna do with that person? I wanna suggest that what's necessary is that you release that person to God. And that if it, you have to do it, by the way, forgiveness is not a one-time thing. It's a continuous thing. It's an ongoing process. Forgiveness doesn't happen just one time. It happens multiple times. So oftentimes, I'll be driving down the street and I'm listening to Sirius Radio and a song will come on from the past because I listen to the oldie stations. I'm just going to tell you that. And the Christian stations too. But I listen, you know, and so sometimes a song will come on and it'll remind me of something and all of a sudden this motion will just well up inside of me and I'll go, oh, stink. Now I've got to forgive that person all over again. <laughs> it's an ongoing process. It is. It really is. It's an ongoing process in our, in our lives. So you have that person in mind? Okay, so let me, just, let me just tell you a story. Dale Carnegie visited Yellowstone National Park one time and this is a true story. He was watching from a distance and he saw a grizzly bear go into a, a campsite and you know, there was nobody there. There was cars and tents and that kind of thing. And so this grizzly bear went in and helped himself to the food that was wrongly distributed in the campsite. And so this grizzly bear was eating all these campers' food. And uh, no animals, none whatsoever, dared even come near this grizzly bear because he would have he would have destroyed them had he didn't want to share. So all the animals took a wide, you know, a wide whatever around him, and uh, except for one animal, it was a skunk. And he saw this skunk walk right up next to the grizzly bear. The grizzly bear looked down and just went back to eating, didn't challenge the skunk, didn't chase the skunk off. And do you know why? Because the consequence of having an encounter with a skunk was too high. You understand what I mean by that? I'm not gonna get sprayed by a skunk. 
So here's what I want you to understand. The consequence of you not forgiving is too high. Forgiveness is much easier than bitterness. Forgiveness is much easier than pain. So if I live my life every day with forgiveness, it is the good, it is the good life. It is the easy life. It's not the hard life. And we think it's just the opposite, but the reality is as long as you hold on to that person and you don't forgive them, then I'm telling you it will always be a stumbling block to your relationship to God and will keep you one step away from God himself. So remember that a minute ago when I said there's one person that you probably are thinking about, maybe it's an ex-husband, an ex-wife, maybe it is somebody who betrayed you, whoever it is right now, I'm gonna ask you to do the most important thing that anybody, second most important thing anybody has ever asked you to do. One is to receive Jesus, but, but after you've received Jesus, here's what you've gotta do. You've gotta let go of all that anger and resentment because it doesn't look good on you and it's destroying your walk with Jesus. In fact, I wanna suggest that unless you do that, you're gonna get stuck right where you are with God and you'll never move forward until you come back around that cycle. It's kind of like the children of Israel in the desert. They kept wandering around for 40 years until every one of them died because they just simply wouldn't do what God asked them to do. So I'm telling you that what God is asking from you right now, he's asking you to look at the cross and look what Christ has done for you on that cross and then apply that same grace and mercy to the people that have offended you. And until you do that, it will be disastrous in your life. So take just a moment right now, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to say to God in the name, you probably have to do this 30 times, 40 times, 50 times, I don't know how many, but just say to God right now, God, in the name of Jesus, because I have been forgiven of all my sins, I now choose to forgive and you fill in their name right now. I release them to you and I ask nothing in return except that you would relieve me from the burden of the anxiety that I'm carrying right now because of the consequence of sin in my own life. Will you do that right now? Quiet at this moment. Best decision you'll ever make. Maybe there's a list of 10 people. I'm hoping, my prayer this morning when I got up to come preach this morning is I was hoping that I wouldn't be on anybody's list. You know, I don't know if that's a realistic view of life or not, but it was my prayer to God. So, you done business with God? Can we move on? Pillar number four is simply this. Pillar number four is love, and that sounds like a Hallmark card. You know, it's, you know, we're just supposed to love one another. But let me describe the kind of love that God is talking about here because once you understand the kind of love that God is talking about here, it takes it out of the Hallmark card category. Above all, he says, clothe yourself. Above all, clothe yourself with love. God's love for us is not based on our love worthiness. It's based upon his character. How, how does God love us? He doesn't, love, he doesn't do acts of love. God is love. God is, the very nature and essence of God is love. So how does that unpack? How, what, how, can I, how can I wrap my mind around the fact that God is love? Well, there's a word in the Old Testament that describes the essence of God's love. It is the Hebrew word chesed. And chesed is a powerful word. It is used of God's covenant with Israel. It's 
associated with his loyalty in spite of their rejection. It is a powerful word. It is translated in the New Testament or the Old Testament into English by the word oftentimes loving kindness, sometimes loyalty, but probably the best way to translate this word is with the idea of loyalty. It is a powerful word. The word speaks of a completely undeserved kindness and generosity done by a person who was in a position of power. That would be God. He was a father to the Israelites. And the Israelites experienced this chesed love that God had. He revealed himself to them when they were not looking for him. They didn't want, they didn't want him when God showed up. In fact, when God delivered Israel out of Egypt, you know what they said? Can we go back? Can we go back to Egypt? I mean, we knew what it was like back there. We don't know. This desert experience and this manna from heaven, we don't know if we like this or not. And so even in the midst of, God, of this, his people's rejection, God continued to, watch this word, continued to be loyal to Israel all the days of their life, even the unbelievers in their midst. He continued to be loyal to them all the days of their lives. Unlike humans, God is not fickle undependable, self-serving. His love isn't the kind of love that is a self-serving love. Instead, he is faithful, true, upright, generous, always. And if there's any word that I could use to describe the idea of God's love here, it would be the idea of loyalty. And I'm gonna tell you, loyalty isn't a high word in the culture that you and I live, is it? We don't, we're not loyal to each other. It's very rare to have loyal friends. It's very rare to have even in a marriage loyalty. Loyalty isn't high on our human spectrum, but here's the reality, is that that's the kind of love that God expects us to clothe ourselves with. The idea, the idea of clothing myself with loyalty so that I'm gonna finish well with with the people around me And more and more of us are growing up in broken families and we are losing our ability to ever imagine what kind of love that would be because broken families have one thing in common. There is a broken love in the cycle. That's what what makes them so devastating. That's what messes with, with people's minds. That's what destroys kids' lives is there's a brokenness in the idea of loyal love. Now, that's not to bring shame. I'm just simply saying, we don't get it. We don't get this kind of love that God has for our lives. So, even in our culture, there's an idea of romancing God. You know, we think about the day of our salvation. We think back about that. And it's kind of like we're dating God and not married to him. It's kind of like that. You know, like I can break this off at any time. But the reality is, is God is loyal to us and we should be loyal to to the people, loyal to him and the people around us. So Paul says to the Colossians, he says this, listen to this carefully. He says, clothe yourself above all. The most important thing, the highest, the highest character that you can have is above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. In other words, out of this loyal love, I'm gonna kind of take some liberty here, but out of this loyal love comes well-being. Perfect harmony, well-being. 
that there is a well-being. This love produces in us and the people around us a well-being that cannot be, money can't buy. And that's why Paul says, above everything else. So here's my challenge to you today. Think about it this way. What you need to become is a loyal lover of God's people, a loyal lover of the people around you, a loyal lover of all the relationships that you have. And I'm gonna tell you, when you do that, your relationships go to the next level. So let's just review for just a second. So God, through Paul, says these, these four pillars of intimacy. Tenderhearted mercy, respect, forgiveness, and loyal love. When those, one of those posts is broken, we're, we are broken. If we want to have the kind of life that really is fulfilling in our lives, these are the things that God has to put inside of our life. This is the glue that makes relationships last. And the result is simply this. The result is that we get emotional intimacy with God. That's what we're wired for. You and I are wired for emotional intimacy with God. But if we don't clothe ourselves with the right stuff, it will just be a counterfeit to what God has in our lives. Does that make sense to you? So what are you going to do about what I just said? I've created crisis for some of you. You've got to go back to the drawing board and say, you know what, I've got to figure out how to take these four pillars and clothe myself with them so that out of this, out of this life comes this amazing relationship, relationship to God and relationship to others around us. That's the next level. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your grace in our life. Thank you, God, for everyone here. And my prayer, God, is that I have delivered with clarity your words so that, God, your people can respond with perfect obedience. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen.